even with that defense being great, at some point they're going to get in the shootout. He's a great coordinator, not a great head coach. I think there's one thing we're all saying for a fact. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Goal Line Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Cypher, also known as No Huddle NFL on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. That is No Huddle NFL with no capitals and no spaces. Also available on Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it, at No Huddle NFL, no capitals and no spaces with an underscore at the end. Thank you for listening. Conference championship just wrapped up. We have the Super Bowl locked in. Super excited to talk about that in the upcoming weeks. But first, let's talk about these conference championship games. Because you don't have the Super Bowl without the final four teams going down to the final two. I'm very glad to have Hammy on the show. Once again, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good, man. How about yourself? I'm great. I'm great. And I'm super excited to talk about these great high-caliber games. But before that, and I know you guys, I, I don't want to give you... I don't want to make you too excited for something that we're not going to be talking about yet. Uh, I want to go over some of the head coach hirings really quick. Just like mm-hmm. 20 minutes, uh, because I haven't had an opportunity to talk about the Panthers hiring of Dave Canals, and then another NFC South hiring of the Carol of the Atlanta Falcons hiring Raheem Morris. I want to go over those really quick and then we'll go into the conference championship games. I have I, I like to think my opinions on these are pretty solidified. Uh, I'm curious if maybe you might change my opinion a little bit with your logic on them, but let's start with Dave Canales, right? Uh me personally I am a fan of this. I know there's not many people that like it, but I'm actually a decently big fan of this hiring. How do you feel about the Panthers being far more aggressive this time around? No, I'm right with you. Um, This is a pretty fantastic hire, if you ask me. Um, Best one that they can get out of all the head coaching candidates. Um, And specifically, like, if you're concerned about, like, your quarterback development, Canales, like, he has the track record where he revived Geno Smith and obviously Baker Mayfield. Like, now you get an opportunity to, like, develop Bryce Young. And this is a fantastic hire because this Panthers team's desperate. Like, all they want, like, they need to make sure that their quarterback situation is figured out. And I think Canales is a pretty damn good fit for um the, the Panthers. Because um, some of the stuff that when you watched him with Baker and what he did with Gino, they get a lot of play action going. And I think Bryce Young can excel at that area. And realistically, like now it seems like with Canales and what he does, now you're legitimately bringing a system into the Carolina Panthers offense. And I think that's really what the Panthers need. They kind of did not have that with Frank Reich as their um, head coach. So I think with Canales getting here, um, Panthers probably just have to make uh, some couple pieces at wide receiver. And then I think I could see a legitimate system going on in Carolina. And then we can probably see a more formidable offense um, going forward with Carolina. So I think that Canales hiring is big time. And realistically speaking, um, like if there's anyone that's going to fix Bryce Young, like, he is probably one of the best, prob- probably like coaches that you can probably say, hey, why not? Um, let's give him a shot. And 
he's done uh, de- fairly well as an offensive coordinator too for the Buccaneers. So um, I'm glad to see that Carolina got this higher right. And realistically, like I'm rooting that they do get this right. Um, a lot of my friend groups are Panthers fans, so um, I have to deal with their depression at times. And so, <laughs> so now I'm actually happy that they got something going on. So now you got a head coach um, that can probably put a system out there, emphasize a lot of play action, which Bryce is going to for sure excel on. And all I think is just David Tepper needs to sit back and just let the of coach course. do his thing. Of course. And, and I, 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 and I think agree. that's the, that's the only thing that I have. But other than that, this is a fantastic hire by Carolina. They nailed it with this. Yeah. And listen, I, I wouldn't, I like this hiring too, but you do sound very certain of this. So I, I do want to portray the devil's advocate. Okay. Perspective re- really quick. Again, I, I do like this move, but you know, Canales, he was a first time play caller last year. Young guy, right. there is no guarantee that he's even a good play caller. He could just be a one-year wonder, first off. Second mm-hmm. off, taking a coordinator, not overly experienced, the likelihood of him being a great head coach, even a good head coach, you know, there's a little bit of, there's definitely a risk to that. So, yeah, I, I do like the hiring still, but there definitely is a fair amount of concern, like, you know, it's a first-year play caller, and yeah, he did a good job. He elevated a group that didn't have overwhelming talent. He knows how to develop quarterbacks, and there's no doubting that. That's what everyone is going to boast about with the Canales hiring. Bryce Young is going to bounce back. Like, that is a guarantee, right? Right. And even if Canales sucks, and now I'm going to start with my positive, even if Canales sucks and he's not a good head coach, if Bryce Young plays well, and then they just move on from Canales after the season. Is that not a win? Right? No, that, it's completely worth it. Exactly. It, it, it's it, worth it. The only thing that I don't like about this hiring is the fact they gave him a six-year contract. Okay? And I'm not saying, I'm not going to be over here and act like it's a good hiring because I think they're going to develop Bryce Young and then move on from him. No, no, no. I don't. Because I do think Canales does other stuff really well. He did do a right. very good job in his one year, and again, it's only one year, but he did do a very good job elevating a group that wasn't overly talented last year. Right. There's no doubts about that. And I also think this is an underestimated aspect of it, but you look at the Buccaneers O-line last year, it was a very young group. And they right. weren't the best O-line on earth, but the point is he made a functional offense with a young O-line. You look mm-hmm. at the Panthers O-line, it's another young offensive line. You need someone who doesn't only know how to develop the quarterback, doesn't only know how to call plays with a good quarterback, elevate the quarterback. Okay, cool. How can your offensive mind simplify right. the game, simplify the protection schemes in a way that benefits a young offensive line? A talented offensive line, but a young and experienced one. Okay, when you don't have, you know, that center that's really smart and has seen it all, right? When you don't right. have someone like that, when you don't have someone who is, you know, a 10-year veteran that has seen everything that he needs to have seen to call everything out on the field, you need your offensive coordinator to be able to elevate the offense in that way and mm-hmm. simplify the offense in that way from a protection standpoint. And right. did it. 
So that's something else that gives me a lot of optimism that I, not many other people are talking about for whatever reason. Uh, right. The main reason I love this move so much from the Panthers' perspective is because you look at a hiring that I didn't like, that the Panthers did last year. It was the exact opposite. Exact opposite. When they hired Frank Reich, it was the exact opposite of what they're doing right now. Mm-hmm. They hired Reich because they wanted an established coach who could build a winning culture. The winning culture that was clearly missing during the rule era or the rule of rule, as I like to call it. Right. <laughs> Obviously, that didn't work out. The Reich experiment, it didn't work out. Because right. he couldn't elevate the poor talent that the Panthers had at their disposal. They went with a proven commodity when there was really no need for them to go ahead and do it. The only reason for them to have went with Frank Reich as opposed to a young offensive or defensive mind or someone that just hasn't been proven yet but very easily could be the next Kyle Shanahan, the only reason that they went with the proven commodity was because, oh, NFC South is weak, let's make a playoff run. That was the only reason. And they ended up sucking. They ended up sucking. Because instead of swinging big, they were swinging hoping for a single, and they couldn't even get that. Yeah. The the main problem with Reich is even though he's called plays before, he knows how to design an offense, he doesn't know how to design an offense to a level where it could elevate the talent on the roster. And it's the exact opposite with Canales. It's the exact opposite. He's far from a proven commodity, but that's not a bad thing at all. It isn't. He right. What did he do last year with the Buccaneers? The Buccaneers roster offensively wasn't talented. Wasn't right. that talented. Right? Mm-hmm. You had Godwin, you had Mike Evans, and then what? Baker Mayfield fighting with Kyle Trask. Keep in mind that was a legit yeah. quarterback battle going into the season. You had a Buccaneers O line that, you know, you have worse, but then besides that, what do you really have? Right. Yeah, exactly. A role player at best. I feel like that's how people looked at him. And now, you know, he's, I don't want to say a household name, but he's a staple on that offense. Yeah, he's good, man. Mm -hmm. So Canales really elevated a roster of offensive talent that was pretty lackluster. And the reason I say it's a good thing that he isn't a proven commodity is because even though there's a possibility he doesn't work out, there's also a possibility that he's the next Sean McVay. Okay? Anything is possible, and bringing right. a wild card like that isn't always a smart move. But when you don't really have any reason to be in a rush right now, right? What what's the concern, right? Whose rookie contract are you wasting? Bryce Young, you don't even know if he's good yet, right? Whose contract yeah. are you wasting right now? Yeah. Go ahead. Why not swing big? What are you gonna lose? They I, really I, have nothing to lose at this point. I love. I love that they learned from their mistake with Frank Reich. And Tepper, I agree. He isn't a great person. He isn't a great owner. All that stuff. I I agree. Yeah. But he did the right thing here. I'm not going to agree that there weren't better hirings. I thought that Slowick would have been a better one. I think maybe waiting for Ben Johnson might have been a smart play. but Maybe. I'm, but this isn't the worst. Yeah. This is like the well, best thing I they could have done outside. The point is that they learned from the Reich experience. Mm-hmm. They learned, looked in the mirror, and what Pepper just said to himself, okay, yeah, let me do the exact opposite. 
Let me not slam my head against a brick wall repeatedly. Let me try a completely different approach. And right. whether it will work or not, I don't know. But I do absolutely love the rationale here. Mm-hmm. I still don't know why they gave him a six-year deal, uh, but I I do. I think it's this. just maybe to convince yeah, Canales how, to come how here. Other, how many other people do you think were really trying to get Canales on the team? Right? That, it see, it that's doesn't sound like – we don't know. We don't know. But it doesn't sound like, among what I've heard from NFL insiders, it doesn't sound like he was somebody who had to be really competitive in order to get Again, yeah. I, I could be completely wrong, but it, it doesn't really sound that way. Right. And the Panthers won't be the only team in the NFL that's paying a coach who isn't on their roster if they need to fire him. Okay, this is right. a common thing. So it is what it is, really. If Tepper's willing to spend that big money, he's willing to spend that big money. I just hope that doesn't prevent them from pulling the trigger or cutting the rope, whatever expression you want to use. Right. I don't, I don't want that to prevent them from cutting ties if they need to. That's my only yeah. concern with this. That's that's really the only concern. But then again, like if you're Carolina, like you got like you mentioned, you have nothing to lose at this point. Like see if Bryce is the guy for them. Mm-hmm. And that's really what you need to do at this point. So I think like Canales is good for that. And so um now it's just a matter of what the Panthers do. They're probably going to be in a position like the Jaguars were after Trevor's rookie season where they had to probably have to crazy overpay for weapons to come to Carolina at this point um, just because of how bad the situation is. But you got Bryce Young on a rookie deal. Maybe you can make it work and get some like a T. Higgins or uh, somebody that or someone that can separate, not named Jerry Judy, by the way. So I'm not trusting Jerry Judy with his hand issues, but someone like anyone like that can, that will like actually help Bryce develop and get him going. Or and so bringing it in the draft, right? Yeah. The draft is pretty deep too. You could probably, Carolina has the first pick in the second round. I wouldn't be shocked if they drafted receiver. Yeah, or even, you know, we saw Canales. He knows how to work with, you know, some of these late round picks. Oh, absolutely. Canales can do it. Yeah. And, you know, maybe we see a big season from Marshall. Maybe we see a big season. Eric Marshall, yeah. Yeah. Maybe we see a big season from some of the some of these other guys. I mean, they still have DJ Sharp. John Domingo? Mingo. Thank you. I knew there was a name that I wanted to say. I couldn't remember. <laughs> uh, you You're know, welcome. They, they have pieces. It's just a right. question of which one of them are guys, you know? Who is yeah. a guy? You have people. You have names mm-hmm. that people are familiar with. There's no way all of them suck, right? I mean, I, right. I think there's at least going to be one guy that kind of just pops out and almost has like a Nico Collins type of situation here where, you know, they've been a name people knew. People have been waiting for to break out for a while. And then boom, right. here it is, right? I wouldn't be surprised if we see that with a Terrence Marshall. I wouldn't be surprised if we see it with the Jonathan Mingo. I wouldn't be surprised at all. I think one of those guys are going to kind of come out and really show us something, right? Mm-hmm. And then I also think they're going to draft someone who should also play well. But now let's move on to right. the other NFC South 
head coach hiring. Raheem mm-hmm. Morris to the Atlanta Falcons. This is a move that, when I first saw it, I was overly negative. My opinion yeah. has changed. I still don't love it, but I, I do like the hiring. How do you feel about it? I'm the, I was the same way because I was pro Belichick and pro potential yeah, Bobby Slowick or Ben exactly Johnson. Came down to, right? And uh, that's the reason why I was not happy. But after seeing what Raheem Morris did with the coordinator hires, specifically the offensive side, I kind of understood why the Falcons wanted to go that route. So from that, it started to get me to grow more and more like Raheem Morris. He's not a bad de- uh, uh, caller on the defense. So I still think the Falcons can still be a good defense. I don't know if it's going to be to the level what Ryan Nielsen did. It could have the potential too. But I think the biggest concern was like, like all due respect to Bill Belichick, but you're seeing like the Belichick like culture or like that type of system, like the Shanahan over us, the Shanahan guys, they're overtaking that, and and that's like not a slight at Belichick. It's just more so like that era is almost over. Like it's now time for the new era of football, and so like I. Like Belichick not getting a job, which is kind of like weird. Like you don't expect the greatest coach of all time to not get a job. If literally, if the Packers were to fire Matt Lafleur and Bill Belichick was there, I would hire him on the spot personally. But I I also think, listen, I I look at this and looking back, right? It's pretty much set in stone. Belichick isn't going to get a job. There. None of these spots were really the perfect place for him. None of them. Yeah. I mean, maybe Seattle, but Seattle wants to start it off with a younger guy now. Right, and they just dealing. dealt with Pete Carroll, yeah. who's also like older than Belichick. The Falcons don't have their quarterback now. Belichick is coaching right now to either win rings or, most importantly, get the all-time yeah. win record. And Yeah, Absolutely. Like, yeah, they have pieces, but they have young pieces, okay? Right. Belichick, I think it's most ideal for him to go to a place that has experienced guys that are ready to compete right now. And, you know, I look at the Falcons, and yeah, they have Drake London. Yeah, they have B. John Robinson. Yeah, they have Kyle Pitts. Yeah, they have a defense with Jesse Bates and A.J. Terrell. Okay, sure. And they're all in solid, too. How many of those guys have playoff experience? How many of those yeah, guys neither have been there, done that? There isn't. Not many of those it's, guys yeah. are anything like that. And right. That's why I, I look at it, and you have to keep in mind, like it, it almost is going to sound like I'm exaggerating here, but bringing in Belichick is making a deal with the devil. It is. And I know that sounds like exaggeration, but <laughs> the, the truth is, like, as an owner, you are swallowing right. your pride and telling a coach you're going to have complete control over all football operations. And yeah. what you have to understand about all the NFL owners is that they're all egomaniacs. Okay, they don't want to do that. Right. So, one, that is a big no-no already. But two, I mean, let's not just ignore what Belichick did the past three years. Oh, absolutely. He has made at least... 15 fireable offenses over the past three years. Mm-hmm. 
And, yeah. you know, it should work out a lot better because McDaniels is going to come with him wherever he ends up going. That's why I, I still feel confident wherever he goes, he's going to bounce back. But I definitely do think that gives owners a bad taste in their mouth. Also, right. Belichick is going to go all in to win right now. As it, the GM yeah. and the head coach, he's going to trade picks away. He's going to be aggressive in free agency. And teams only want to do that if they're guaranteeing that they're going to be winning a Super Bowl. And even then, right. you might not want to do it. And I just look at it as an owner. You would be giving up complete control. You would be going all in for this year. And you would be going all in with the head coach that hasn't been successful over the past couple right. of years. Simple as that. He just hasn't been successful post-Brady. And I know he's still one of the greatest coaches of all time, sure. But what have you done for me recently? That's what this league's about. Right. And the fact That's that what Belichick, this is. Belichick hasn't done much for many teams recently. Do right. I still love the fact that they chose not to go with him? No. I, I don't. Because I do think Belichick could get it done. Again, I think if he brings Josh McDaniels with him, all the problems we've seen over the past couple of years with the Patriots kind of just go away. Right. But I definitely get it. I definitely understand why teams are afraid to bring in the literal devil of football. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right. I definitely get it. So, right. Besides Belichick, though, how do we feel about Raheem Morris as the head coach? Ignoring who they did or didn't end up hiring, how do we feel just about Raheem Morris as a head coaching candidate? So I kind of was a little mixed because I thought Morris w was pretty good deserving of one. And then I saw the Lions game. I'm like, okay, I don't know how I like this game plan, but... I think, uh, wasn't he the Falcons interim, I believe, in like he 2020? Was. He was. And he didn't need any, I think he did like a good job over he there did too. He a good job. So, like, so then I understand the the uh, thought process of hiring him because already familiar with the culture, everything uh, with the Falcons. So he knows what's up there. But I think my confidence in Raheem Morris grew when he made the offensive coordinator hire. Zach Robinson, that is a big-time hire, and I am very excited for whatever quarterback lands with the Falcons. They're going to have a great play caller because you're having someone from the McVay tree, and that is the whole reason why they they brought him in. Get a more trendy, you know, new-to-modern offense in the league right now, and I think that's what the Falcons' whole plan was, to get someone in that McVay tree so that they can have a McVay system going on. And so that so now because of that Zach Robinson hiring their passing game coordinator who's made the Rams offense like who's helped contributed to, to the Rams offense being great. Um I think this is good. Um and realistically speaking, like Morris, I think he'll do a good job with that defense. This Falcons defense has some serious talent on that roster. Um and they've all uh, Jason Bates has been great, AJ Terrell's been awesome. Um, probably we'll see what Grady Jarrett is after, but, um, Falcons have some good edge rushers too, like that I've seen. Uh, I believe Zach Harrison's one of them. Um, so like, so like, I, I really do think like Atlanta, it could be, it could be cooking pretty soon. So, um, 
But realistically, I think when I saw the Zach Robinson hired, because this was a coordinator I wa- I want wanted to see him get hired, and to see that he got him, like I, I could not be more than happy. So I think this is going to be a good hire for the long term. Um, but initially, like obviously, when when you looked at the candidates, I was just wondering why the Falcons wanted to go with Raheem Morris. But then after seeing what he did uh, with the offensive coordinator hire, it's like okay. I think the Falcons might have gotten probably the best OC candidate like in the market right now. So, so the and, fact of the matter is that makes me feel good. And teams, let's be honest right now. Right. Teams want anyone that sat down to eat lunch with Sean McVay. Teams want oh, absolutely that. They want know, that. Drove Kyle Shanahan's car to the parking spot. Uh, oh what, yeah. What's the term? What's the term? Uh, you know, you give them your keys and they just drive it into a parking spot. Oh, what's chauffeur? it called? Chauffeur. Yeah, the chauffeur. Yeah. yeah. They, teams want anyone who chauffeured for Kyle Shanahan. All right. Oh yeah. Teams want anyone who was anywhere close to those guys. That's right. Not the only reason that Raheem Morris got hired, although it did definitely help that he's part of that coaching tree. There is no if and right. what thought about. Butts about it, and I, I just want to say that's not bad, okay? You want to do the trends that are working. NFL teams want to act upon the trends that are working, and one of the trends that oh, are working absolutely. are getting any Shanahan McVay disciple. Any one of them. Correct. And Raheem Morris is one of those guys. And let me just go through uh, Raheem Morris's coaching experience because I, I do want to say, besides Mike Vrabel, Mm-hmm. Raheem Morris is the single safest head coach option that was available this year. He was, I agree completely. And, and the reason I feel that way is because he doesn't just have experience on one side of the ball. He has experience on both sides of the ball, and he has a lot of experience on both sides of the ball. And he has successful experience on both sides of the ball. Let me go through the mm-hmm. resume. Right, I'm going to skip the college years. Those don't really matter much. He right. joined the NFL in 2002, right, as the defensive quality control coach for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Then he was the defensive assistant in 2003. Then 2004 to 2005, he was the assistant D-backs coach. You know who the D-backs coach was? Mike Tomlin. All right. So oh, wow. Okay. He coached under Mike Tomlin. That's big. Uh, also won a Super Bowl with Tampa Bay. Then mm-hmm. he went to Kansas State as the defensive coordinator in 2006. Then he came back to Tampa Bay in 2007 and 2008 to be the defensive backs coach. Then he was the head coach in Tampa Bay from 2009 to 2011. Wasn't great. Ended up parting ways with the team. Went to the Washington. They were at the time Washington Redskins. 2012 and 2014, he was the D-backs coach there. Then this is where it really gets interesting because this is where he meets his boy Kyle Shanahan. Although I guess he met him in Washington, but now he's working under him. Because right. he was on the other side of the ball when he knew Kyle Shanahan a little bit at Washington. Now mm-hmm. he's the passing game coordinator with Kyle Shanahan on a Kyle Shanahan offense from 2015 Insanity. to 2019. Okay. <laughs> and... I don't know if you remember a certain guy named Julio Jones, but yeah, you know he he and Matt Ryan they, they had a pretty successful passing attack under oh, Morris, unstoppable uh, stuff. 
Yeah, so then he went on to be the defensive coordinator in Atlanta after being the receivers coach from 2016 to 2019. So he was the assistant head coach, pass game coordinator, and the wide receivers coach from 2016 to 2019. 2015, he was just the assistant head coach and the pass game coordinator on Atlanta. Then 2020, he's the defensive coordinator again, back on the defense side of the ball, and he was also the interim head coach for the Falcons. And they were pretty decently successful. There were some people that wanted him to get the head coaching job after that season wrapped up. Then right. he went to his boy Sean McVay, LA Rams, right? Won a Super Bowl as the defensive coordinator from 2021 to 2023. I just yep. want to say. That's a hell of a resume. That's a hell, exactly. That's a hell of a resume. And I don't think the ceiling for Raheem Morris is extremely high because I, I think you watch the Rams and you don't say like, oh man, you know, that look was really complex by Raheem Morris. But he's been around great minds, okay? He's been on both right. sides of the ball. He's going to be a good head coach for many years. A quality I, coach I for agree. many years. I don't think he has the upside of Canales. I don't think he has the upside of Slowick. I don't think he has the upside of Mike McDonald. Ben Johnson. Ben Johnson. I don't think he has the upside of any of those guys I just mentioned. Right. Right. But he has a higher floor than all of them. He definitely does. And for a team like the Falcons that, you know, has the ability to win right now, at least win the division, because the division is extremely strong. Right. Uh, you know, you say to yourself, yeah, why not go with the safe option? Again, I don't get it when a guy like Vrabel is available, and that's why I'm not extremely high on the move, because Vrabel is yeah, and Vrabel is better. Uh, but, you know, I, I guess they wanted to go with Raheem Morris. I, I don't I think, think he has an extremely high ceiling once again, but I think he'll right. definitely establish a winning culture. He'll be a good head coach. I just feel like this is going to be a team, as long as he's there, they're going to make playoffs and, like, lose round one or barely miss the playoffs. I don't think he'll ever elevate them far beyond that point. Also, yeah, they brought in Zach mm-hmm. Robinson, but you need to find your quarterback. And do you really want to be developing well, that's your the thing. Do you really want to be developing your quarterback under a defensive-minded guy? But yet again, I just went over the fact, you know, he's been a passing game coordinator, so maybe not. But has Ray right. ever developed a quarterback before? You look, uh, the years where he was an offensive guy in Atlanta, he had a veteran, Matt Ryan. Uh, right. I mean, he's never developed anyone. He hasn't. He hasn't been a part of a rebuild. He hasn't been a part of a development process. He, he just hasn't. He just hasn't. And that's part of the reason I look at this and I'm just like, yeah, you know, you found a guy, but is this like the right fit for what Atlanta needs? I don't know. I don't yeah. dislike this hiring. I don't really love it. I like it a little bit, I'd say. Like yeah. On a scale of 1 to 10, I give it a 6, 5 and a yeah, half. Yeah, like right there. Like a five to seven ish range. At, yeah, that's where I'm I, at. I wouldn't even give it a seven, but I'd give it a five and a half. I'd give it a six. Uh, 
I think it also helps when then when you're very familiar with the Falcons organization and that you've had experience. Yeah, I guess like that also is gonna that's also gonna help you like improve your chances of getting a job there. Mm-hmm. Again, I, I think he could, if they want him to be their head coach for ten years, he can make sure they have a winning season seven of those ten years. Yep. But it's not about winning seasons; it's about winning Super Bowls. Exactly. And I don't think he's a Super Bowl winning head coach. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong. I could be wrong because I do see a world where he becomes like a Tomlin, right? Mike Tomlin was so successful because he he had experience in this league, and you know he knows everything you need to know about special teams, offense, defense. Right. And maybe Raheem Morris can be successful in that way. Because most importantly, Mike Tomlin is a culture guy. Raheem Morris, he seems to be a culture guy. Right. And maybe I'm underestimating that aspect of his coaching ability, but I'm not exactly in love with this hiring. Any notes before we wrap it up and move on to the conference championship games? Mm, Not really that I know of, honestly. Like, I think... Like, the... Um, uh, Raheem Morris hiring like, like I get so like y- like it's still some mixed emotion, uh, mixed feelings too because like yeah the Falcons could have done better with Vrabel it, being there. What if the, like they if they went with Vrabel, who would you think Vrabel wanted as their OC as his OC? Well, the, you know that's the problem. He couldn't bring Arthur Smith with him. That's yeah, exactly. Not but it would not work again. He could ring in. I mean, Tim Kelly is still available if he wants to bring him with him. Maybe, I, yeah. I didn't think Tim Kelly did a good job in Tennessee. Uh, but he, he has experience under Brable. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it wouldn't be the end of the world if he... Like, how about Vrabel brings in Josh McDaniels? Right? How about that? That could work. That, that might not be a bad thing. Yeah. Right? The connection be- with the Patriots organization, that could very well have happened. Right? Probably, you, yeah. You got that. I-, I think there are multiple ways that that could work. I do. I truly do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe they just bring in Clint Kubiak. Is there a connection between them? No. But <laughs> Clint Kubiak's still a good OC. Uh, yeah. Maybe they bring in Byron Leftwich. Uh, like, they could just bring in whoever. Daryl Bevel. Like, there yeah. doesn't have to be a connection. I feel like that's kind of the mistake people make. Now, does it help? Yeah, obviously. But they're going to hire the best offensive mind they know. Okay. And sometimes they keep it within their circle of knowledge. Sometimes they just see a guy that did a really good job on the team that they were on, and they're just like, hey, you, get over here. And then they end up <laughs> yeah. spectacular. You know, that very the reality, did. the reality of NFL coordinators, uh, once you start rising into the occasion, you get poached very quickly. That's how the NFL is. Mm-hmm. I may I say this because of Ben Johnson rising on the scene and being the hottest coordinator right now. And I'm very glad you said that because I think an example of that is someone who played a key role in the Chiefs' victory over the Ravens over the weekend. Steve Spagnola. Bags cooked that yeah, game. He cooked it up. He completely killed it on the defensive yeah. side of the ball. He's been a coordinator for such a long time. 
And, you know, he tried the entire head coaching thing. It wasn't for him. There's guys like him. There's guys like Dan Quinn who aren't right. a head coach. Just simply, they're not. But, and it's in the intro of the show, right? Some guys are just coordinators, not head coaches. And Spagnuolo is one of those guys. And just looking at his defensive coordinator career, it's one of the best. Okay, it's one oh, of the dude, best. It's awesome. Shows. He's been great, and he still is great. He absolutely killed the Ravens in this one. Mm-hmm. I mean, the pass rush was winning constantly. Constantly. That from was the big key. Yeah, from a schematic perspective. Mm-hmm. If the Chiefs just wanted to throw a blitz at the Ravens, it would work. Okay, the blitzes were tearing them up. And yep. what was so great for Baltimore was, or terrible for Baltimore, but so great for the Chiefs was, they blitz and blitz and blitz, and then Lamar will be like, okay, now they're going to blitz me again, and then, oh, here's cover two man, right? Oh, you saw that pre-snap look we showed you? Yeah, no, that's not what we're doing here. We fooled you. And you could see Lamar <laughs> yeah. just be like, oh, what the heck? I did not expect that. And it got to him constantly, very often. They threw the fastball at the perfect time, but then they threw the changeup at the perfect time, too. And they were doing mm-hmm. that all game long. You gotta love what Spagnolo did here. It was yeah. a great game plan by him. Yep. He doesn't really get enough credit for the Chiefs' success lately. Like, once he had his guys uh, run his scheme and run his defense, it's been phenomenal watching uh, Kansas City's. Like, uh, Chris Jones had a fantastic oh my day. Goodness. He killed Dude, he Ronnie killed Stanley, uh, I he kept... It was a rough, rough day for him. Mm-hmm. Like when you had Charles Amenehu, who kept beating this man off the line of scrimmage. Oh Forced man! Forced a fumble. Forced a fumble. Forced a fumble. Key fumble. Yeah. It was that. It was I, I mean, the so Chiefs, pivotal. Yeah, the Chiefs defensively, they they were making plays. They were making plays, and I said it going into the game. Listen, if the Chiefs want to win this game, they're not going to win it because of Mahomes' right arm. They're not going to win it because of Kelsey. You know, it's going to be their defense. Balls. It's going to be their defense. And it's not just going to be their defense playing well. Their defense will have to be creating mm-hmm. opportunities for the offense. And that's exactly Absolutely. what we saw here. That's exactly that's, there you what go. we saw here. We saw them force a fumble. We saw them pick the ball off. We saw them do everything they need to do to set Mahomes up to succeed. And despite how much people brand it as, oh, Mahomes makes it too his seventh Super Bowl in seven years, or I know I'm exaggerating, but right. instead of people branding it as this, oh my God, Mahomes is so great. Mahomes is inevitable. People need to look at this and say, and I'm not saying Mahomes had a bad game. We'll talk about Mahomes later on. Don't worry. Don't, keep, keep your pants on, Tony Roma. <laughs> uh, but... People want to brand this as like Mahomes having this amazing game, and that was the, the defense that won the game, being the sole reason that they made it this far. It's and the defense. The case. It's the defense. The defense. Now Mahomes did his job. Mahomes did a very good job. Right. Kelsey did a very good job. Right. But they won. This but you game could tell. Because, yeah, they won this game because of the defense. And right. the defense was given the MVP. A lot of MV problems throughout. The oh game. yeah, throughout the game, 
Lamar had a bad day. And some of it, it was, was the Chiefs just getting to him, whether it's getting pressure on him. Even when Lamar was avoiding sacks, I know he had that big play early on, but he couldn't always make something out of nothing. And it's because right. even when Lamar was getting seven seconds in the pocket, Trent McDuffie, he's locked what? up. He's locking receivers up. That's Darius another thing. Need doing the same thing. Justin Reed, same exact thing. Even right. when Lamar is improvising, it doesn't They're staying. Exactly. Yeah. It doesn't matter. And that's that's the another thing. Like they were shutting down every single receiver out there and you saw a place where they couldn't create separation. Well, that's just because of how insane Kansas City's defensive backs are. Like mm-hmm. uh, McDuffie, like, yeah, they're covering flowers. Rashad Bateman was a complete non-factor. So was a neither was Odell Beckham Jr. The way they contained Mark Andrews that game, I was yeah. so well, impressed Andrews with didn't his. See the field too much, but when he did, he that's wasn't, true. He wasn't like some big game changer. It wasn't enough. It was not. He didn't have enough. that. Yeah, not, not not even remotely enough. I, I mean, and then Chiefs Stevens, they're making plays they too, like that Zay Flowers fumble. And I mean, it says a lot about the current state of the league. Mm-hmm. This game. And this is how because. This is the best defensive performance we've seen by both teams in right. the playoffs this year. Kyle Hamilton was unreal, I man. I want to talk about the Ravens' defense later on. I want to focus on the Chiefs' defense right. against the Ravens' offense first. But And you're right. Kyle Hamilton killed it. But we'll, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> it's no longer get your star edge rusher and win because of the pass rush. If you want to have right. the best defense in the league, it doesn't start on the line of scrimmage. It doesn't start with your guy with the hand in the dirt getting to the quarterback every play because the Lamar Jacksons of the world, the Patrick Mahomes of the world, they don't care about pressure. They just ignore it. They just ignore it. They just break sacks and then they make plays. Okay. Right. To make this a superstar defense, it starts in the secondary. It starts with the quarterbacks. It does. It does. It starts mm-hmm. with Legarius Need. It starts with Trent McDuffie. Right. And those guys doing their job as consistently as they did, that's why Lamar had so much trouble all game. Or part of why. Another reason why, and now I want to shift over a little bit more to the Ravens offense and their struggles. Uh, Munkin, Todd Munkin, someone who I praised a lot last week after the Texans game. What what exactly was the game? What what happened to the adjustments? What happened to the game plan? What what was the mentality here? Okay. Why didn't they run the ball? Much? Why didn't they run the ball? Right. This rushing attack has been amazing all year. And it's probably the best in the league, if I was not mistaken. Exactly. So why is it that Lamar is only handing the ball off? I want to say eight times throughout the entire game. Yeah. And, oh, maybe Lamar's going to do it on the ground. Yeah, no, he had eight carries, too. I did not understand it. Well, I, and think, Gus I Edwards... think the reason why was Drew Tranquil and Leo. Yeah. Those guys are athletic linebackers that are going to stop Lamar from doing too much on the ground. Okay, mm-hmm. sure, I get that. What about Gus Edwards? What about and Gus Edwards guys? is not a bad running back. He's been great all year. I mean, yeah. you got to be able to win on the line of scrimmage more often than they did, and they didn't. 
Okay, Tranquil, by the way, he was a key reason that the Chiefs won this game. Yeah, Drew Tranquil was making he some was good a, plays. Yeah, not just that, his presence on the field really scares yeah. teams away from the running game. It does. But I think that they gave up on the running game way too early. They should have tried to pound their Gus Edwards against the brick wall more often because a lot of the time you have Gus Edwards versus a brick wall, Gus Edwards wins. It's just that yeah. I, I mean, Yeah, exactly. It's called and, the Gus bus for a reason. Yeah, exactly. 100%. Right. <laughs> so I look at that and I'm just like, okay, Todd Munkin, what are you doing? And then what pissed me off even more was we have a team that is blitzing you over and over and over. They are devoting linebackers to the quarterback, okay? They, their main focus, Drew Tranquil or Leo Chanel, it depends on the play. Their main focus was that guy right there, Lamar Jackson. Not slants across the middle of the field. Not any of that stuff. Their main focus was stopping Lamar from running the ball on the ground. Now, they're still going to play right. coverage, but their focus is mainly being spent on Lamar. Can you at least try right. to attack that? Can, can you at least, you know, OBJ, he's... I know people know him because of his big plays and the one-handed catch and all that stuff. But you bring in OBJ right. to run slants. You bring him in to run these in-breaking routes. That's why you bring right. in Odell Beckham Jr. Where is that? Where is that aspect? Exactly. Where is Zay Flowers running slants across the middle of the field? Where is Isaiah Likely in the middle of the field? Where was yeah. Mark Andrews in the middle of the field? I know Mark Andrews was injured. Rashad Bateman, too. Rashad Bateman. Yeah, like you had these guys that are very capable of getting open in the middle mm-hmm. of the field. Why aren't you at least trying to, t- to attack that? You know, this game, and I didn't think that I was going to be saying this, and this is a huge shot at Todd Munkin, someone that I've really liked what he done, he's done throughout this year, but this wasn't a good game by him, so I, I'm completely fine taking this shot. This game yeah. reminded me a lot of a playoff game we saw earlier on, wildcard weekend, the Eagles playing against the Buccaneers. The Buccaneers. Yeah. And mm-hmm. what was Todd Bowles doing repeatedly? He was blitzing him. Blitzing him constantly. And what was Jalen Hurts? What were the Eagles... What was their approach to beating the blitz? Was it throwing at the blitz? Was it anything that you normally would try and do to counter the blitz? No. It was, nah. oh, you're blitzing? That means we have one-on-one time to take a shot down the field. Yeah. That, that doesn't work. <laughs> Uh, it it really doesn't. It doesn't work. It might work every now and then. It doesn't work enough for you to consistently rely right. on that. So why is it that when you're only down two possessions, you feel a need to completely abandon the run game? You feel a need to completely abandon the short passing game and just keep chucking it deep downfield? Why? Yeah. I mean, when you're getting blitzed that often, throw at the blitz. It's very simple. Football 101. Throw at the blitz. They don't do it. They didn't even try it. Not once. Not once. It didn't work at all. It What they were doing didn't work. And the fact that they didn't make the adjustments that they've been making all year really mm-hmm. makes me lose confidence in Todd Munkin. Someone that I really liked as an assistant throughout the year. And I still do really like him, but I, I thought this was, frankly, a terrible performance by him. Yeah. Yeah, that's not a good look at all. And it... it that that ruined any possible head coaching. Uh, I don't think he was getting head get... He might have got a couple yeah. interviews, uh, but I yeah. think people are looking way more at the other assistant. 
Um, oh, yeah, McDonald for yeah. sure. But, you know, I, I definitely found it weird, the, the game plan. And the lack of adaptions, more than anything, was really so strange to me. It, it was so strange, but... Yeah. Yeah, then, you know, I, I want to talk about Zay Flowers, that entire drive. There was just a straight-up Zay Flowers drive. And, <laughs> you know, the taunting call, how, how do you feel about that? Because me personally, I'm just like... Listen, that that's a penalty. They they, I know it was kind of getting really, you know, picky tacky, as the game went on. You know, Kelsey was getting in people's face. You had players getting in each other's face. Yeah. So I Listen, understand why yeah. Flowers was like, "Oh, Kelsey, we've been doing that all game. Okay, now it's my turn." I think that he, they were towing a line throughout the game. All both teams were towing a line throughout the game, and I think what Flowers did unknowingly to him obviously went past that line yeah that, that's what it seemed like and i i don't i don't really know how i feel about it because of course there's the people that are going to be saying chiefs versus refs or sorry ravens versus refs of course there's going to yeah be those people exactly uh, but i i feel like I, I look at this and i i completely get what they're coming from on this one i, I really do right uh, again i i don't but at the same time, you gotta know not to be towing that line, okay? Yeah, Kelsey's been That's, doing that, yeah. but you went a little bit of a step further. You shoved a guy to the ground and then spun the ball right in front of him. And maybe yeah. you're not expecting, obviously he wasn't expecting to get the taunting call, but he, it's a spur-of-the-moment thing, right? It's NFL playoffs. You're a rookie. You're a young guy. I, I get it, but at the same time, you kind of got to be more disciplined. I don't really know how I feel. <laughs> about this one no i i'm with you like i personally hate taunting calls yeah like, yeah but like, it's a part let, of the let game. the guys talk their yeah. smack if they it's want the to it's the same way that i feel about Jadevian and clowny uh, right it was Clowney yeah that got the he got the roughing the passer call <laughs> yes and a lot of people were complaining about that and i'm just like has he been watching the nfl all year i mean listen whether you like the call or not Mm -hmm. The call existing, that's one of the most textbook examples of it. It is. I don't like roughing the passer, but it's in the room. Neither do I. They've been calling it all year. Gotta be smarter than that. That was one of the less... That was one of the more controllable instances of it. Right. So that's why one where I was like, okay, yeah, the Ravens have to be more disciplined. That That's really also another reason they blew this game up they they didn't they were not focused and they didn't stay disciplined yeah. and i'm not a big fan of like i hate taunting calls with a burning passion but if you if the nfl is gonna call a taunting if you're gonna taunt somebody then is it really worth taunting at this point you're like you're down yeah, 10 but, uh, you're down 10 just, you're trying to set your team up to score in and i get that and that's why i'm like mm, where do i stand on this because i still don't know where i stand on this honestly but I, yeah. I, because I get both sides of the argument. I get the, oh, you know, Zay Flowers has to know better than to do that. But at the same time, right? This is an emotional game. This is the NFL. Oh, it's obviously emotional. Player, and the other team is doing the same exact damn thing. Yeah, same exactly. Exact thing. And, and yeah, you know, players, you're taking it, a little yeah. bit further, but how much further? I mean, really, does spinning the ball add that much more to it? it that's what I really want to know. And it's just like, are really. So like I, and like 
yeah, like you mentioned, it's an emotional game. I mean, we literally saw the Chiefs and Ravens getting into it during pregame warmups. Like, that's how intense it was. So, like, of course, it's going to be heavy emotions. So, like, players are going to have their moments. And, like, it's part of the game. Like, it makes it more enjoyable. Let the players talk their smack. Because, like, obviously, they're, like, Zay Flowers is hyped up. Like, he made a big play. Um, but then again, it's just like, it's not because of like, it's boneheaded stuff, but it's just because you know that the refs are going to be so into taunting and like, even the league is like cracking that stuff down now. So like, you know, if you're going to do something, you never know, they're going to call it against you. And so that's just why, like, you got to be better than that. But even then, I'm not going to blame Zay Flowers for daunting. Like dude had every single reason to he like, he beat. Legereus mm-hmm. Sneed on that rep and literally caught a deep pass and like was putting his team in scoring position. I'm not going to fault him for like, yeah, I look at that. I got you on that rep. So, but then again, it's just like the NFL, I feel like overblows it. And it, and I think like, that's where like it, it it's a major issue. I hate it too, because you see them do that. And then you'll see NFL Twitter. Like, not NFL, like, people, NFL fans on Twitter. Yeah. You'll see the NFL Twitter account promote someone else doing a celebration right in front of a guy's face. Right? You'll see, right. oh, that that was a cold celebration after the big play by insert player name. And it, it's just like, like, I remember when A.J. Brown, remember against the Steelers, he was in, like, triple coverage, and he caught a ball last yes. year. And he did yeah. the, like, you, you, Point. like, he pointed at him. That, <laughs> that's by that. the books taunting. But what did the NFL exactly. do? They didn't throw a flag. No, you want to know what they did? The NFL's official Twitter posted it. Cold celebration by A.J. Brown here. You can't have it both ways. It's either you want to shut down the taunting completely. Or you don't. Or, or you, you let it happen. embrace it. Okay? And I, yeah. obviously, I prefer they embrace it. I think a lot of people embrace would rather they embrace it. Okay. But embrace if you're going to have a rule, officiate the rule consistently. Don't promote players doing the thing that is against the rules. Okay. See the problem? You see the problem here with ref- with the NFL refs? Consistency. Of course. And, uh, that's that's the reason why nobody call, likes them. Good call, bad call, completely different story. Consistent calls is all I'm asking for. It, exactly. If there were bad calls consistently, fine. Okay. If they were if they were consistently calling the same stupid stuff, it'd still be a stupid penalty. But I wouldn't not, I wouldn't really care that much because at least the players at would the same know time this you're is adding more fairness. Yeah. At least the players. And you're would adding know, fairness. This is what I have to avoid doing. Exactly. But then, when it is inconsistent like this. When you have players doing peace signs in other players' faces, and yes, it has happened throughout this year. Right. And those aren't getting flagged. But then Zay Flowers doing this is getting flagged. That's when you start yeah. having fans claim the league is rigged. Yeah. Uh, and that's bad for business. The NFL needs mm-hmm. to understand that. I, I know that taunting isn't the best for players trying to be role models. Like I, I get that. Right. And obviously you want players to be good role models because that's good for business, obviously. But you know what's better for business? Not having half of the fan base claim that the league is rigged. Right. I, I feel like that might be better for business. Uh, maybe well, absolutely. I'm, wrong. I'm not a business major. I don't know. 
<laughs> uh, but to me, That's it true. seems that way. And I feel so bad for Zay Flowers, not just because of this. Yeah. Also because later in that drive, he almost Bumble. made up for it. He yeah. He almost made up for it. He died for the pylon, and he did what you see a lot of young, ambitious, you know, extra mm-hmm. gear, high motor players try and do. Not only will he make the big catch, make the big run, he'll dive to the end zone. And he'll reach the ball out. And again, I was just talking about the NFL media, and I'll say it again here. People kept branding it as Zay Flowers. What an idiot. What an idiot. Why did he do that? How about great play Legereus Sneed? Yeah, that was Legereus Sneed, like, making a fantastic play on the ball. If this was, if this and really was the awareness anything. to try and strip it instead of just tackling. Yeah. I mean, why are people so quick to say, oh, idiot, bad player? Like, when a guy throws a pick, how often do you see, oh, that was a great play by insert cornerback or safety or linebacker? Compared right. to how often you say, what an idiotic throw by Jared Goff. I, right. I, I don't get it. I don't get it. Why do people have to be so negative on NFL media? Right? Nah, I don't get it. Jay Flowers was making a great play, and if he dove into the end zone, even if he was reaching the ball out, not a single soul would be saying, oh, he sure was stupid to try and reach the ball over the yeah. pylon. Yeah, not if he would have scored, would no one's saying anything. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. But because he got stripped, it's a completely different story. No, that's ridiculous. How about we say... Right. Jerry Sneed, good job being in the right spot at the right time. Great hustle. Great job stripping the ball out. Like, why don't we give credit to the defenders here? Exactly. I I found that so baffling. So baffling. Yeah. I I really hated that. Zay Flowers has been a player that I've loved. Oh, I do too. He's been awesome. Yeah. And he has been great. And he has been great. Even in this Exactly. You know, he had the bad... But the truth is, he gave the Ravens the explosive plays they needed. <laughs> and if it weren't for an amazing defensive play by Legereus Need, Zay right. Flowers would have got them another touchdown. Single-handed. Like, that drive would have been oh, the Zay Flowers drive. Okay. Yeah. And the Zay Flowers drive would have been on the way to a Lombardi trophy. Okay. Absolutely. I agree. So that's why it's just like, why? Why? Why are we like this? Yeah. You know, it, it sucks. It, it sucks. But now I, I want to talk about the other side of the ball for the Chiefs. Right. The Chiefs' offense. Now, they still only mm-hmm. got 17 points. But this is despite right. some turnovers. And just overall, their ability to play this well without a running game. Because Pacheco was taken out of the game. Completely taken mm-hmm. out of the game. He averaged 2.8 yards per carry. Right. Mahomes did a great job managing the game. And I've been saying, like, when Mahomes wants to be a game manager in a defensive game like this, he'll be a game manager. Right. And it, <laughs> he killed it. He killed it, man. Yeah. Him and then we've been talking all year about how Kelsey not playing well is a key reason why this offense Hasn't looked the same. But now, playoffs started and Kelsey wants to do very well. It's because I drafted him in the first round in one of my fantasy leagues. 
I can't. Oh man. Yeah. Uh, but he, that was Geeks League, right? No, no, no. Geeks League. I oh. won. I won Geeks. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I won it with Mahomes. My team got auto drafted. <laughs> oh, I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I, I won, so that's cool. And I probably wouldn't have won if I had Travis Kelsey, because then I wouldn't have had Sam Laporta. Uh, True. But the, the the Chiefs offense played a good enough game to win. All right, I don't want to make it sound right. like it was a bad game, but it wasn't this explosive performance. It was a it was a long, sustained drives, manage the football type of game, and. The Ravens' defense also played well. You were talking about Kyle Hamilton earlier, so go right ahead and keep giving him the credit he deserves because I, I've been saying he deserves defensive play of the year. He didn't even get a single vote for it. He's not even a nominee. Oh, dude. So I mean, the way that the way that they kept using him, like you would think Hamilton's going into coverage. Nope, he's going to the quarterback, and it's just like he was all over that defense. And I, I mean. He, he, there was a play where he went wow. from the deep half, the left deep half, right. to the right flat to make a tackle, and he got there before Roquan Smith. Incredible. Incredible football player, missile. man. He's a missile. He, and he's great at coverage, dude. Too. He's great at so many – he's literally oh, everything a defender can be good at, he's good at. Great at shedding blocks. Great in coverage. Great blitzer. Mm-hmm. Uh, he does every phenomenal tackler. He does everything you want a defender to do, whether it's a safety, wide receiver. I almost said wide receiver. He probably could play wide receiver with his frame. Probably, he probably could. safety, D line, corner, edge, corner. He he could do it all, and he has done he it does all. Does it all. It, yep. Oh, man, it, it's it's just it. Watching Kyle Hamilton play, it's just like. We might see potential better version of Darwin James. It might be better than that. And it's just going to be so scary when this man completely just starts, continues to get better as it goes. When? I I can't imagine him getting better. I think he already is a better Darwin James. Oh, he is. He's playing the best football I've seen from a safety since, I I mean, I want to say like 2019 Jamal Adams, but I feel like it's even better than then. I it agree. Is even better than that. No, that's not even a debate. Kyle Hamilton this year has had the best season I've seen from a safety since, like, Legion of Boom Earl Thomas and Cam yeah. Chancellor combined. <laughs> like, he's he's playing ridiculous football, man. He's he really insane, is, man. He's on point tonight. There's too. no, there's no argument. This there is no argument for anyone being the best safety in football now. It's him, and it will be his title until like the wheels fall off. Because I I don't imagine Hamilton. I don't imagine anyone passing Hamilton at this point. Yeah, he, it's amazing. He's playing absurd ball. He really is. And the way that that Ravens defense disguises coverages and everything, it got the better of Mahomes on some of these plays. It really did. Yeah, it did. However. Mahomes was able to just spend all day in the pocket. I want to say one of the key reasons that this offense this offense has played so well because the offensive line consistently gave Mahomes time. That was the surprising part too. 
Well, it was because the Ravens' front four, when they're just rushing four, right? It isn't great. It, it, it like they're fine, they're good, but it isn't great. And this Chiefs O line is great. It is, yeah. So because of that Mahomes has so much time in the pocket, and that put the Ravens in a position where they feel like they almost have to blitz. But when they blitz, Mahomes picks apart the blitz. So it's just right. like, what do you do? You have to be able to get pressure on them with your front four. And if you can't, then it doesn't matter how well you disguise your coverages. Everything just becomes man-to-man with enough time. And mm-hmm. that's what ended up happening. And when you have man-to-man and Kelsey is hauling in every ball you throw his way, well, <laughs> there's a play yeah. where Kyle Hamilton was guarding him. Kyle Hamilton played perfect defense. Travis Kelsey just caught it anyway. Right. That was the Chiefs' first touchdown. It was the Chiefs' first touchdown. It was the Chiefs' first touchdown. I mean, what do you do? And it, earlier, I believe Roquan Smith was on him. and Or no, 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 it was Brandon Stevens on him. And it was a fourth down, and he just caught it. <laughs> right. Uh, Kelsey being back to the elite safety, the elite tight end, wow, that we're used to seeing. <laughs> uh, it's That's a great sight. It's key for them. It yeah. really is. The offense is so much better with that, with him playing that well. And Rashi Rice was making some good plays too. He was. He absolutely was. He absolutely was. Yeah. Even when Pacheco can't really get going, the offense is still dominant. And mm-hmm. the Ravens' inability to stop the Chiefs on what I call money down, so third and fourth down, uh, that's something that really hurt them early on. Mm-hmm. Let's not act like the Ravens' defense did a bad job. I mean, only allowing 17 points, they forced her. That was phenomenal stuff. It, it, was, it, was, just great, let down. it was a great job by McDonald and the defense. It absolutely was. Yeah, However, they, the offense couldn't take advantage. Offense was such, was such a letdown. Absolutely. So, mm-hmm. that's all I have to say about this game. Do, do you have anything See? else you want to say before we move on to the NFC Championship? I really don't. Um, one key thing. How much do you think Justin Matabike is getting paid? Because he's a free agent this year. And he's made some key big plays this game too. Saving Baltimore uh, sadly, along with... Sadly, I think he's going to get the tag. Mm. Just because it, this was one year, right? Do you want to bank on that again? And, you know, McDonald right. might be gone or maybe not. There's only two head coach openings open. Uh, True. So maybe they keep if they keep McDonald for another year, which is something I predicted to happen. But if it does actually happen, that's not good for the league. Uh, oh yeah, if I McDonald mean, it's stays, Ravens, it's great for the Ravens. But for the rest, of the yeah, league, it's great yeah. for the Ravens. Yeah, and like honestly, if you're a Ravens fan, you better be praying McDonald stays. Like, you don't want him gone because McDonald's been the best thing that's happened to them defensively I mean, for a while yeah they, they've had a lot of great things happen to them defensively though let's be yeah. honest i mean they landed kyle hamilton matt Abuike, popping oh up yeah out. they've had a lot of stuff go their way okay so let's not but he definitely is a great thing to have on your defensive unit uh yeah maybe they franchise tag him maybe they i mean he he might get like market changing money or tying the highest paid in the league like i I wouldn't really be surprised by that. I think he would deserve yeah. it, too. I mean, he's killed it this year. He's, he's been, been awesome. He's been the best pass rushing interior D lineman by a long shot this year. Yeah. 
that's not a bad thing to say. He's been incredible this year for and sure. He's a phenomenal run stopper too. So yeah, and I think he's going to get paid a lot, and he's going to deserve every single dollar. I agree. But let's move on to the 49ers' big comeback win over the Lions. <laughs> I got a feeling oh. that this was going to be a blowout. Oh, like, I'm man. Gonna be honest, even as someone that predicted San Fran to win it all, and I think I still stand by that. I don't know. I haven't made my prediction official yet. Uh, when the clock struck zero and it went into the half, I really thought, I really did. I really thought that the Lions were going to win and they were going to win convincingly. I had no idea that the 49ers had this in them. No idea, but they did. But they did. But despite the Niners playing a great game, the Lions punched first. So let's give the Lions their credit for what they did early on. And then maybe let's talk a little right. bit more about what wasn't going their way coming out of the half. Yeah. Ben Johnson. Yeah, I mean, well, this wasn't of a, uh, this wasn't like a killer game by him though. I, he's definitely had better. Yeah, absolutely. I, but I, the Niners, I, I think the reason the Lions were able to get going so early that run mm-hmm. game, that run game, the run was game so was phenomenal, early. and their Jameer offensive Gibbs, line. Yeah, the offensive line, the ability to get offensive linemen out in space, even their first touchdown on the end around to Jamison Williams. Yeah, their ability to get Penny Sewell out in space on that. Their ability to get Frank Ragnum out in space on that. Mm-hmm. Who else is doing that stuff, man? First off, what other teams are running end arounds? That, <laughs> yeah. That. You don't see end arounds. You don't see that happen. NFL. You don't see end arounds in the modern NFL. You just don't. Let alone end arounds where the center and the right tackle are both going up to the second level. It, right. <laughs> It was a really nice play design there. Although I, I kind of just wish I saw more of it later on in the game. Where'd that go? Where did that go? Yeah. You know, it, it seemed like that unique play design kind of just vanished more and more as the game got went on. I almost felt like they got to a point where they, they had a lead. They got comfortable. And they started yeah. saving play calls for the Super Bowl. But you got to win the NFC first. You know, that's honestly what it felt like to me. Okay. Right. Yeah, but Detroit's running game with the pin pull. They run everything. That's what makes them so scary. They run every concept in the book. Duo, power, counter, pin pull. Uh, right. Every split zone, inside zone, outside. They run every single concept. That's why their running game is so scary. And the thing is, because they have two great running backs, oh, we want to run power this play okay let's put david montgomery on the field oh now we want to run inside zone okay let's get the more yeah. shifty jameer gibbs on the field and, and that works so yeah well. and they have an offensive line that really protects their backs so even craig reynolds can get valuable snaps yep <laughs> it's it's incredible stuff you see with their backfield for sure yeah it's that and then of course the ability to win on the line of scrimmage penny Sewell's usage throughout this game by the way there were a lot of times where they just got him out in space I always loved how Ben Johnson uses Sewell. He's my my favorite player to watch on this offense, if I'm being honest. I'm I'm a big Penny Sewell guy, so seeing him, you know, go up to the second Mm -hmm. level like he does, or go out on screen passes, or there was even a pass play where he was wide open in the flats on the third down, I believe. Uh, He was an eligible receiver. And I mean, there, there were plays where 
there's an entire drive, it felt like, where, or it might have just been like seven straight plays. I don't know if it was the whole drive, but they lined Sewell up at tight end and they would motion him across the formation uh, just to kind of see what the other team would do. And sometimes they would run behind him, but other times they would just have him as like a decoy. And yeah. when you get to the point where you're able to use linemen as decoys, that's where it's like, yeah. Wow. <laughs> and once again, I ask, where was that creativity in the second half? Where yeah. Was where did it go? Where did it go? It felt like you did all this stuff that was working, and then once again, you were trying to save stuff for the Super Bowl. That's the only reason I could think of. Because I know Ben Johnson has more stuff in his bag. He just didn't want to pull it out. I don't get why. I don't get it yeah. why at Another thing that I felt was entirely true. Uh, when Detroit started losing the battle for the middle of the field when they were on offense, because early in the game they were able to throw it across the middle of the field. That was the big thing everyone was talking about. Fred Warner and the 49ers, they're great at defending the middle of the field. Oh, but the Lions are great at attacking the middle of the field. So who's going to win the fight for the middle of the field? Mm-hmm. Early in the game, the Lions were winning the fight in between the hashes. But then as the game right. went on, we saw Fred Warner start to light people out. We saw Drake Greenlaw, like, I don't want to say dislocate, but he injured his shoulder, just laying the wood on a receiver <laughs> going across the middle of the field. I mean, he oh, laid yeah. the wood on him. It might have been a Ma. I think it was. I think it might have been. Yeah, he he knocked him around, man. He, he took a shot on him. And it was legal. Don't worry. I, I don't look oh, yeah. for legal plays. But it was a great hit. And it knocked the ball out. Amon Ra didn't catch it. And it felt like the more and more the 49ers were playing physical across the middle of the field, the more and more they were winning across the field, as the Lions lost the ability to attack that area, they mm-hmm. began to lose. Yeah. It, it was a direct correlation there. And, you know, that's what forced them to rely more on Josh Reynolds, who dropped the ball a lot on crucial Yeah, plays. he did. Uh, and then the Jameer Gibbs fumble. We were talking about him earlier. He had a pretty good Yeah, he had a fumble. That fumble. But that fumble was crucial. It gave the 49ers the ball deep in Detroit's territory. And that was a momentum switch right there from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And when the 49ers... <laughs> Scored in the second half, the Jake Moody field goal, the 43-yarder. It was very clear from that point forward. The Lions were rattled. They were rattled. They were not ready to play this game. I mean, it was clear. The the drops, the fumbles. Like I said, Jameer Gibbs just fumbled a handoff. That only happens to teams that are playing scared. And I think if the Lions were playing at home, very different. Very different. But they, they weren't at home. It's not a hypothetical game. They want to get home field advantage. Well, they should have won more often in the regular season. That's how this game works. Right. The 49ers earned home field advantage, and I really think that was a key reason they ended up winning this game, and now they're heading to the Super Bowl. Yeah. Detroit was playing rattled. I mean, you could tell throughout the game, the drops, miscommunications even, Jared Goff. He was forced to improvise sometimes, and he just can't do that, man. He can't do it. Yeah, Goff can't. He's not that. So, before we move on to the 49ers offense, 
I want to ask you how you feel about the fourth downs. Starting with the first one. Going for it when you're up 14. Fourth and two or fourth and three, something like that. Do you agree with the decision to go for it there? Ignoring hindsight. I mean, like, I understand Dan Campbell wants to be very aggressive, but you got to be smart sometimes and take the three points when you need to. Because at some point, like, going for two is going to bite you back. That's one of the – and this game pretty much did later on in the end when San Francisco kept scoring. Because there was another time, I think, where the Lions uh, were in field goal range. They didn't take the three points. Well, I was going to go over that next, yeah. Yeah. The other one was very different yeah. circumstances, that, though. This one, right. you have the ability to make the game into a three-possession game. And yeah, you I know, I know going for the kill shot, right? You score there, kill shot, you pretty right. much win the game. But right. if you just get the field goal, it's still, it's still a three-possession three possession game. game now, as opposed to a two-possession game, completely different, right? The, the problem is if you don't... When you play football, you understand this. If you never played football, you won't understand this. And this is at any level. This is at any level. Okay? Right. When you end a drive with a turnover on downs, as opposed to a field goal, a field goal right. keeps the momentum going. Ending it mm-hmm. with a turnover on downs, the momentum it's... goes bye-bye. And the momentum is a very, very... Real thing. Very real thing. Right. It's a, it's a human sport played by human beings. It isn't just about how it looks on paper. It isn't just about the analytics. Eh. No, no, it's not about that. And that's... I, I sound like an old head. I'm only <laughs> I'm only 17, I swear. Uh, <laughs> but the analytics don't tell you how it affects the momentum of the game. It doesn't tell you how it affects the players and how right. they feel. And how those emotions are going to play a role in the game. The analytics only tell you uh, whether or not you're projected to win based off of that. And I also don't think analytics account for context enough. Because another thing, too, is San Francisco. Right. They feel most comfortable Mm -hmm. under center when they can run play action, run the ball. They don't like being down three possessions. Okay. They're not like the late 2010s Chiefs. They're not like one of these super high-powered, explosive offenses. Now, they are very explosive, but they're not comfortable doing shotgun for five straight plays and, you know, taking shots deep down the field. Like, that's not who they are. They take their shots off of play action, and you eliminate the play action when you make it into a three- a three-possession game. Right. And I don't think the statistics account for that. Okay? I get it. Dan Campbell's identity with this football team is risk it for the biscuit. We gotta we gotta bite kneecaps. But no. <laughs> you, you gotta understand it here. Yeah. Context matters. Your opponent is very uncomfortable playing behind like that. Take the points there. Take the points. Mm-hmm. So, so you agree there. Later on in the game, I'm with you. It was they had an opportunity to tie it up, kicking a field right. Goal. Not much time left on the clock, yet they decide to go for the win 
trying to convert a fourth and three. Josh Reynolds doesn't do a good job adapting to the ball. Still hits both of his hands, but it wasn't a great throw by Goff. They don't convert. It's still right. been a 43-yarder. But do you think mm -hmm. they should have kicked that field goal there? Again, ignoring. Okay, tie the game up. <laughs> I almost forgot. Yeah. Then, yeah, tie the game up. Like, I, I get it. And then see if you can force yourself to overtime. Because then it's... You never know what could happen. Maybe you win the coin toss and you get the ball. And then there's a chance you can win the game. So, like, I, I just don't understand the over-aggressiveness with Dan Campbell at times. Because it, it, it it's going to hurt you. And it hurt him severely. And, like, you're down three, man. Like, you need any sort of momentum going on your side. You need to generate any sort of points because the Niners shut you down pretty much all the entire second half. You need to get points on the board. And you're down three. You're in field goal range. Take the points there. At least probably try and see if you can swing some momentum back. Lions didn't even do that. And I and that's why they and this is why they ended up losing. Because it was just not a wise decision. So my hot take here is Ooh. I, I actually get it there. I, I actually do. I actually think that, that and I get it in both circumstances but i i don't think that bailing on the three points there was a bad decision it wasn't first off 43 yarder that's not a gimme it should be a gimme but it isn't right and again circumstances you're not at home uh right late in a playoff game super bowl on the line that's a lot of pressure for your kicker so so one let's start off with that and then two, it's fourth and three. Do you really have faith in your defense to even get a stop? I don't know. I don't know. You. Yeah, that's also true. I would have liked a better play call than a pass to Josh Reynolds. Which, again, where's the creativity? This, like, remember last <laughs> year, the Lions, they had a similar circumstance. Although it wasn't playoffs, it was still a very important game to them. They wanted to beat Green Bay. And it came down to a fourth down. Right. What the Lions do on that fourth down. They didn't kick a field goal. They threw a pass to Penny Sewell. Game on the line. Right. Those circumstances very similar to this one yet the difference is with this play you didn't pull out any creativity you didn't pull out anything you know that's that's all like oh oh wow they really caught him off guard there no you just ran a pretty basic passing pattern you throw the ball right to josh like josh reynolds who doesn't have the hot hand at this moment jared goff is forced to roll out you know he's rattled all the players are rattled right now yeah come on like, why yeah. is the play didn't work out? And good. I'm glad it didn't work out. Because Ben Johnson has more in his bag. I know it for a fact. That's where you pull out your best play call. This is a Super Bowl trip on the line. I completely get going for it on fourth down. But you have to have the right play call in mind. And I don't think they had one there. 
I yeah, really I can don't. agree with that. I really don't. And that's where I disagree. I don't have a problem with going for it on that fourth down. I think the other one, I disagree. But this one, I completely get it. I completely get it. Yeah. I just would have liked to see a better play call. I really would have. And for yeah, me, that's there's no issue with that. Yeah. yeah. Now, for sure. Let's move on to the 49ers offense versus the Lions defense. What did you think was the key here that changed in the second half? Probably Brock Purdy's level of play. Yeah. Because struggling in the first half and realistically, like, it, it just wasn't looking good for San Fran. But whatever happened, whatever Kyle Shanahan told him in that locker room, he flipped the switch and Brock Purdy went from having, like, a potential disaster class to dude actually was balling. Like, he played pretty good. Um he did what he was supposed to do. Christian McCaffrey was also getting the ball and um, the night and he was having his way to George Kittle as well. Brandon Ayuk also stepped up big time, but I think what really, really helped them was Debo Samuel. Um, I think there, there was plays where Kyle Shanahan used Debo out in space and that really was giving the Niners a ton of momentum. So, but it really just started with Purdy's ele- uh, level of play. And the fact that that got fixed, I think that was when the Niners just flipped the switch. Um, also, I will give credit to their defense because their defense was also making plays like Drake Greenlaw, Fred Warner. Once they started getting physical, like obviously for sure, then their offense got the momentum going. So, But it really just started with Brock Purdy, and he improved his play second half, and I think that is where San Fran just went absolutely insane. Uh, throughout the rest of the game, so Listen, um, they, they were putting the ball in Purdy's right. hands. They were putting it in his hands, and they said, "Go make a play, not execute the offense, not any of that. Make a play." Right. And the Lions would force him to roll out. They would make him uncomfortable in the pocket, and Purdy would make the plays. Whether it was on the ground, he he had a decent day running, and right. he was throwing well too. He was an improviser in this one. And yeah. I think that's the difference between the good game managers and the bad ones. The right. The bad ones, yeah, they might manage the game. But when stuff goes a little bit off script, they're screwed. Brock Purdy's screwed. That's stuff true. goes off script. He's still out here making plays. The the stuff like the pass to use check on the sideline to get the first Oh, that out. was phenomenal. Garoppolo would never do that. Garoppolo's not doing it. Garoppolo never does that. Never. Purdy, you'll see that, and you'll see a lot of stuff just like that. You'll see it throughout the game. You'll see it even the, in the biggest moments in the NFC Championship when down. You'll love to see that type of stuff. And a little mm-hmm. bit of dirty X's nose talk right here, but uh, the pass rush was doing a lot early for the Lions, but Shanahan really started to focus in on stopping Aiden Hutchinson. And yeah, Purdy was benefiting from that. You were able to tell later on in the game they were – putting Kittle on Aiden Hutchinson's field a lot, that on his side a lot. They were putting Juszczyk on his side a lot. And I just want to say, like, Hutchinson gets a lot of hate for whatever yeah. reason. And 
the truth is he might he isn't TJ Watt. He's not Max Crosby. He's not Miles. He's Garrett. none of that. But he is a good enough player to demand the same attention that those guys get. And just that's true. Just being someone that demands that attention is so big for this defense. It is. Because then when you start blitzing the Malcolm Rodriguez's of the world and Aleem McNeil is trying to get pressure, it becomes a lot easier for them when teams have to divert a tight end to a guy or they have to divert right. their fullback to their guy or they have to make sure they keep the running back in pass pro to stop this guy. Like, that's big. That's big. Yeah, and big time. Yeah. They would either do that stuff or just run away from him. Okay? And they made it like they made sure to do it like every play. Uh, in this one and it helped it helped a lot it really did because with Aiden Hutchinson kind of out of the equation Purdy was able to take advantage of this weak secondary he was oh yeah the moment you the moment you neutralize Aiden Hutchinson that Lions pass rush is not doing anything I wouldn't say they're not doing anything but they're not they're not good enough to cover up for the secondary being as bad as that's true yeah secondary Mm-hmm. And, and the Niners held their ground. Aaron Glenn is going to throw his crazy blitzes at you, but Purdy did a very good job, you know, waiting for guys to get open, throwing to them. I mean, the deep pass to Brandon Ayuk wasn't exactly the best throw in the world, but Ayuk caught it. So who cares? Ayuk got it. Yeah, and that was a great play by Ayuk. That, that was insane. That was phenomenal. The entire game had some insane plays throughout. Oh, yeah. Uh, it, it was a fun watch. It was a really fun watch. But I, I want to end this up say, saying this statement. Not really a Super Bowl preview, but I, I just want to say this. Mm-hmm. I look at this 49ers team that played against the Chiefs in Super Bowl 54. Yeah. And the biggest difference between that 49ers team and this one that just won the NFC against the Detroit Lions, the biggest difference between those two teams it's not Christian McCaffrey. It's not Trent Williams. It's Brock Purdy. It is. Yeah, it's the quarterback. Exactly. No, and no Jimmy that's D. what makes me feel so good about this. Because you don't see Shanahan quarterbacks make the plays Purdy's been making. Okay? He's a game manager until he needs to be more than that. And when he needs to be more than that, unless it's raining, he'll usually do that. Right. All right. Thank you again for coming on, Hammy. It was a pleasure having you. Feel free to plug your stuff for the people because they deserve to hear and see your great content. Oh, dude, I appreciate it as always. Um, if you guys want, go ahead and follow me on almost all social media platforms at HemiTakes, um, H-A-M-M-Y-T-A-K-E-S, just as same Twitter, TikTok. Um, you can also find me on my YouTube channel. Um, it's hammy takes with an underscore um so you can pretty much find me on all my social media platforms and there you go and if you want more of my content check feel free to check out at no huddle nfl no capitals and no spaces on tiktok instagram and youtube also on twitter or x whatever you want to call it at no huddle nfl no capitals and no spaces with an underscore at the end thank you again for listening i'll see you all again on thursday